Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you hit that like button to let me know you like these big shows, and let's just jump into the news. This Pokemane nudes scam is so creepy and concerning. There's a Pokemane a massive streamer, massive online influencer. Yesterday, she had to put out a video explaining this whole situation, saying scammers were basically trying to get her to send them nudes. Right, so it starts with her receiving an email that appears to be from Naywai, an undergarment and loungewear brand. Notably, it's a brand that she has previously talked about wearing and loving, so she thought, oh, this makes sense. Why wouldn't they be reaching out to her for PR? So she's in contact with them and they make a request. So. Afterwards, they sent me like this PowerPoint of this new collection that they want to launch and they said that they just need my measurements and my address and that they'll send me like three custom bras, whatever. But then when she went to take her measurements a few days later, she realized, oh, this communication is with scammers, not the actual brand because... When I look at the email with the diagram they sent me and everything, and I realized that they weren't showing me how to take my measurements, they were asking me to put tape measure around me and send them a photo of my bare chest. No company is going to ask you to send them a photo of your yiddies. Right, so it all clicks for her. This is a scammer. They've made a fake email. They were forwarding emails from a fake boss. They even made a fake PowerPoint with Pokemon adding. The amount of effort they put in is both comical and frightening. I don't even want to think about what they would have done if I actually sent them anything. Whether it's extort me for money, blackmail me, like, if they have my address, it's even worse. And Pokemon also added she had a friend whose manager actually fell for one of these kind of scams before and made her send photos and information to a scammer. Though luckily in that case, nothing too bad happened. Though also, I will say at the same time, if you fell for this scam, I, I do have questions. I, I'm not going to victim blame. I just have some questions as to what you think is the normal way you tell people what size clothes you want to wear. Like, send me a photo of you measuring your boobs so I can confirm that they are that size and you are not lying to me is a really fucking weird ass. Like they might as well add, hey, can you add a banana for scale to it? But still, I will say, be careful out there, y'all. And then Dave Chappelle is hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend and things are starting to pop off, starting with reports that there's this rebellion brewing inside of the show. Right, because while this will be the third time in his career he'll be hosting, a key thing is that it's the first time since his 2021 Netflix special, The Closer, which if you don't remember, was one of the biggest controversial things last year. There was just such a strong divide between people. And so since the announcement last week, we've seen people blasting SNL on social media. With Tara Field, the former co-vice president of Netflix's transgender employee resource group who actually resigned in protest last year tweeting, wait, I thought I canceled him. Is it possible cancel culture isn't a real thing? And now it's being reported that some of the anger is coming from inside the house, with a source reportedly telling Page Six that some SNL staff writers are boycotting the upcoming episode. In fact, one writer posting on their Instagram story, I'm trans and non-binary, I use they, them pronouns, transphobia is murder and it should be condemned. Though it's not 100% clear whether they are a part of the boycott. And as far as Chappelle's response, his team says he attended writers meetings this week and saw no evidence of a boycott, adding the room was full of writers. They all pitched ideas and they seem very excited about it. Dave is looking to have some fun. And another key thing is that all of this is coming after the show announced its first out non-binary cast member back in September, though neither they nor anyone else in the cast have commented publicly about Chappelle. And to that final point, I'll say I don't honestly know what to believe here. Right? It's completely possible there are people on the staff that aren't happy about this, but also until more people do more things publicly, who knows? Right? Because without it, it's entirely possible this is just like a marketing thing. I mean, fuck, before I came across this story, I didn't even know SNL was live 
live right now. Right? Controversy inherently brings awareness to the thing. The timing of him hosting, I think, is also notable. Right? We just had the midterms, and actually the last two times we saw him were right after the elections in 2016 and 2020. But yeah, for now, we'll wait and see how the hell all of this plays out. And then, Twitter is an incredibly stupid fucking mess right now. And I genuinely don't think it's gonna get better. And I say that because yesterday I went into a Twitter spaces where Elon Musk was like answering questions that seemed somewhat geared towards the advertisers for the site. That man sounds like he has no idea what he's doing. And that's not to say I have the answers. He seemed as clueless as me as far as how to run Twitter. And if anything, it was like accidentally inspiring. Like if this fucking guy can be a billionaire, Anyone can be a billionaire. With enough of a head start monetarily, connections-wise, government subsidy-wise. But that's my opinion. Let's talk about some of the specifics we've actually seen so far. As remember how yesterday for like one hour you could have a regular check mark, but then also a different gray check mark that said public figure or politician. But then Elon killed it. And so like people who were buying Twitter blue and people who were verified for being like a confirmed person, they just had like the same check mark. Well, now if you specifically go to someone's profile and you click the check mark, it'll tell you if they're verified because they're a public figure or if they just paid for it. Something that ended up being very confusing for a number of public figures. But some public figures like Ludwig paying for Twitter blue and all of a sudden his check mark changed to say that he was verified just because he bought. It, though that did end up getting fixed. But also, people of all kinds aren't happy with the solution. Starting with people pointing to Elon's supposed intention to remove the lords and peasants aspect of Twitter, that it's the great equalizer, but it's actually just confusing, and then if you do look enough, you can see if someone just paid for it. So the argument is that it still has the lords and peasants issue, just with more steps. And just as I was recording this, Musk announced that he apparently has a solution for this. Just remove legacy verification altogether in the coming months, calling many of the users corrupt. Meanwhile, you had others like AOC pointing out more fundamental flaws with Elon's $8 verified scheme and asking, if people can pay $8 to get verified, does that mean strangers can just pay to get into their mentions tab? Because that will make following public conversations with journalists, outlets, and others almost impossible to track. Which, yes, is exactly the case. And that's without mentioning people buying verifications to spam the DMs of verified users. And I would say arguably the biggest concern right now of this whole new scheme is impersonations. Elon Musk either lied or he's ignorant enough to think that $8 is just too much of a barrier for, for people to go, yeah, I'm gonna fuck around. People are still making fake accounts, getting verified, and having tweets go viral. So or obvious jokes like this one from former President George W. Bush saying I miss killing Iraqis. Right, it's an obvious fake thing. What impact could it actually have to day-to-day -day life? But I think, more importantly, where we get a glimpse of the fucking chaos we're about to be looking at is when you have things like the parody account of ESPN's Adam Schefter tweeting the Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels was fired. That got so much fucking engagement and it took nearly two hours for Twitter to take the account down. And luckily, you know, the news was sports news, not anything that like could just fucking make things scary. And then even further, I think it highlights the problem that Elon doesn't give a fuck what the engagement is as long as there's engagement. He's been boasting about increased usage from people that are on the platform. But a lot of the stuff that we're seeing where people aren't going to know what the fuck to believe, it genuinely could hurt society. He's actively making everything worse. He's like trying to stay warm by lighting a house on fire. What a great time to test all of this as we're waiting for the final results of the fucking midterm. And then the second largest crypto exchange just imploded. With the TLDR being if you had money in crypto with FTX, you're pretty screwed right now. And details are still emerging about what exactly led to this, but it largely started when leaked documents showed that FTX was using customer funds to invest. Now that isn't out of the ordinary with things like banks, but they have regulations like being required to have at least 10% cash in reserves. FTX didn't follow any of that. So while it had billions in assets, it was all in a liquid crypto tokens like FTT and Solana while also owing billions. And eventually Binance, the largest crypto exchange, possibly saw an opportunity to sink the competition and announced that it would offload its position of FTT. And a key thing here is that that crypto token is FTX's largest holding. So by flooding the market, 
Binance absolutely tanked the price and made FTX's cash crunch even worse because any FTT it did sell would be worth way less. And where customers really began to panic is when they went to get their money at FTX, it didn't have enough on hand. And in the end, they were reportedly short by billions of dollars. Now for a split second, it did look like customers had some hope after Binance said that it would buy it out. But then shortly after, Binance pulled out of the deal stating that the situation was unsalvageable after reviewing the books. And if any of this sounds familiar for especially those not in the space, it's because crypto exchanges and funds falling apart is nearly the norm nowadays. And as I do anytime I talk about crypto is if you want details, deeper dives, things like that, I, I cannot recommend CoffeeZilla on YouTube enough. It's his beat, he does good work, and I'm not just saying that because he paid me in Dink Doink. Only 5% of you will understand that reference, but it's worth it. But as far as what did we all learn from surface level McGee here when we're talking about crypto, well, it shows us the lack of regulation makes crypto exchanges insanely risky. Right at a normal bank, you're insured up to $250,000, so people are less likely to run on the banks demanding cash since they know the feds will pay them back. Though my, my final thought on this is I wonder how Tom Brady's doing. Tom Brady actually endorsed this company, reportedly had a decent chunk of change in there. He's also having like one of the worst years of football he's had in a long time. He's getting divorced. It just feels like all those years of Jets fans rooting for the worst in Tom Brady, it's just all collectively happening at once. Also, as a normally sad Jets fan and now a surprisingly optimistic Jets fan, I, I do want to say Tom Brady is the GOAT. I can dislike what he did to my team constantly while also just, you know, knowing facts. And then I wanna take a second to thank a sponsor of today's show, Established Titles. Established Titles is based on a historic Scottish custom where landowners are referred to as lords and ladies in English. I think of it just as this kind of fun gift, especially for those hard to shop for people in your life. Or the title pack gives you at least one square foot of dedicated land on a private estate in Edelston, Scotland and an official certificate with a crest. And I especially like that they're huge supporters of global reforestation working with charities like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future. So with each order means one tree gets planted. And established titles say they've saved over 170 acres of woodlands in different parts of Scotland and planted over 2 million trees globally with trees for the future alone. Well, I cannot guarantee your friends and family will call you lord or lady, at least not without smirking. It does make a fantastic last minute gift. So go to establishedtitles.com slash DeFranco and use code DeFranco to shop their early Black Friday sale and an additional 10% off any purchase. And then, will your daily poison pill that is social media ever get better? That is exactly what the newly formed group, the Council for Responsible Social Media is trying to do. It's a bipartisan initiative aimed at addressing the divisions and issues caused by social media. And some of its members include Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen, former Senator Claire McCaskill, and technology ethicist Tristan Harris, who is the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. And because y'all have been loving the dives into the, like, the impact of social media, we actually reached out to Harris to talk about the council, the root problems with social media, and what the hell the path forward could look like. And to him, one of the first steps is actually seeing what actionable items can actually be accomplished. What are the wins we could get on the scoreboard? You know, things like, frankly, banning TikTok. Um, or otherwise forcing a total sale of TikTok. You know, can we do things like pass the Platform Accountability and Transparency Act? And we'll talk about both of those ideas, but we're gonna start off with TikTok because the concerns around the app in particular are staggering. Or you might remember Trump's efforts to ban TikTok back in 2020, but more recently you had an FCC commissioner urging it be banned just this month. And a lot of the concerns with TikTok center on the fact that it is owned by ByteDance, a Chinese tech company. But also at the same time, Harris said this isn't top of mind for a lot of leaders saying they think it's just like an app that kids dance on, with Harris kind of framing the problem this way. During the Cold War, would you have allowed the Soviet Union to control television programming for the entire Western world, including Saturday morning cartoons, the Teletubbies, and Sesame Street? With them also arguing here that because TikTok is so wildly popular, we have essentially outsourced our media environment to the CCP, which can be highly consequential. When we outsource our uh, media environment to a CCP-controlled company, we're effectively outsourcing our voting machine to the CCP. How do you know who to vote for? Why is it that you know more about Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC than almost the you know the hundreds of other members of Congress? Well, it's because the attention economy 
rewards certain people to rise to the top. And regardless of your thoughts on either of those politicians, also just to, to be clear, I in no way think those are equal extremes. Like I know sometimes other people feel like, like, are we in the same country? Are we in the same like world? Marjorie Taylor Greene's not in our same universe. But Harris's point is that social media rewards people who might be divisive or at the very least controversial. And he referred to this as something called amplifaganda. So it's strategically amplifying who are the voices I want you to hear from and who are the voices I don't want you to hear from. Without creating, it's like without firing a single shot, without creating a single piece of new propaganda, I can simply amplify the politicians or the videos that I want you to be seeing. And obviously this can extend outside of US politics, right? Harris saying with TikTok, China basically has a dial that can raise or lower the volume of any subject that it wants, which is also an issue highlighted by the fact that domestically in China, they ship out what Harris referred to as the spinach version of TikTok. It has educational content, science videos, and of course, some patriotism about Xi Jinping, right? It's not the crack, keep you hooked, you never leave it sort of version that we have here. Though you did have Harris trying to clarify. I don't actually think, just to be clear, that there's this kind of, large mustache that's being twirled somewhere in China where this was all part of a deliberate plan. Right, essentially saying TikTok just succeeded at being addicting with the CCP regulating it for themselves once they caught on. Right, like if you owned a cigarette company or you owned McDonald's, you probably wouldn't push that shit on your kids. And so of course the question here is, well, okay, what the hell do we do? With Harris mentioning banning TikTok altogether or forcing a purchase of it, the latter of the two may be sounding wild, but also it did happen in the past with Grindr. A US Foreign Investment Commission said that the app's Chinese ownership was a security risk and so it sold to a US-based group. And now it's not that the company is sort of partially in China and partially in the US or the data is somehow on an American server, but the design decisions are still made in Beijing. It's not like that. They forced the entire sale. Anything less than that with TikTok would be insufficient. While these are very big goals and the Council for Responsible Social Media is still new, Harris does hope that their concerns will be heard. And so the group has outlined several steps that it plans on taking to put pressure on social media companies and legislators, including hearings and awareness campaigns. And Harris thinks that because so many members have a tech background, they know how to change things. We know where to put pressure that can actually meaningfully change some of the actual outcomes of the design. And this brings us to the Platform Accountability and Transparency Act, which Harris mentioned up top. It was introduced by bipartisan senators last year and would require social media companies to provide vetted independent researchers and the public with access to certain platform data. While Harris doesn't think that this bill by itself is a cure-all, he does think that it's a big no-brainer. It won't change the DNA of the cancer cell that is social media. It'll be more like the cancer cell is printing quarterly reports about what it's doing to society. But that's still a better world than having a cancer cell where you don't know what it's doing. Right, the argument is that transparency is a step in the right direction because it can at least create public knowledge and educate people about what these apps are really doing. And actually in Harris's eyes, that education has been growing in recent weeks amid Elon Musk's Twitter takeover. Right, because it's been such a chaotic process, it's essentially forced people to learn about the problems Twitter has. Twitter has already been a chaos making inflammation for profit machine. Elon buying Twitter doesn't change that. He's just now running the inflammation for profit machine. Because the takeover has created such a financial bind, Musk is in this position where he has to turn engagement up and revenue up, which has involved cutbacks on content moderation, staff that work on trust and safety and more. He has to figure out a way to lower costs and increase revenue, which basically unfortunately means moving the whole system into a more and more dangerous direction. With Harris also saying that he doesn't necessarily view this as some kind of character flaw on Musk's part, but just saying this is how platforms operate, right? And I think we're all on the same page. Twitter is a hellscape. But whether or not Musk is listening, Harris did share ideas that could address that. The biggest advice I would have to him about how to fix it is not to do with free speech or censorship. It has to do with Twitter being a bad video game in which citizens earn or score the most points by adding inflammation to cultural fault lines. Like if I have a system in which I, you're, we're playing a video game and you earn the most points by finding a new cultural war fault line and then 
inflaming it better than some other guy. You're, you're an inflammation entrepreneur. Uh, turning citizens into inflammation entrepreneurs for profit is how you destroy democracies. The thing that Elon can do is to change the video game of what Twitter is. Instead of rewarding us for being inflammation entrepreneurs, can he reward us for being consensus and synthesis entrepreneurs. And then as far as you and I, right, what can everyday people do? A lot of that just comes down to personal social media choices and limiting interaction with it. Returning right, off push notifications, except for the Philip DeFranco show and deleting apps, except YouTube. How else are you gonna get your daily dose of poison about the news for me so you don't have to pay attention to other social media? But Harris saying this because your relationship with your phone isn't actually just between you and your phone. There's a thousand engineers on the other side of the screen who every day go to work and their job is to make you use it more mindlessly and get sucked into a rabbit hole you didn't get intend to suck into. So Harris argues that it's essential we learn about the other side of the screen. But hey, that's where we are right now. It's going to be very interesting to see what Harris and this group can actually accomplish. Well, we wait to see what happens. I want to pass a question off to you. What are your thoughts on any and all aspects of this story, Harris, anything? And then I want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's show, ButcherBox, for offering you beautiful bastards a free 10 to 14 pound turkey and $10 off. Meat claims can be confusing and even misleading at times, but with ButcherBox, our family knows exactly what we're getting and where it's coming from. ButcherBox's premium meat delivery service is not only affordable, but offers 100% grass-fed beef, free free-range organic chicken, wild-caught seafood, and pork-raised crate-free shipped directly to your door. You know, this year, I've taken a lot more control over what I'm putting in my body, and a lot of that involves enjoying cooking. And so my go-to is ButcherBox's custom box because I can choose exactly what I want every month. Grass-fed ground beef has been a monthly staple. This month, we had a trip tip and wild Alaskan sockeye salmon. And the best part is that ButcherBox partners with farmers who meet the highest quality standards. The meat is frozen at the peak of freshness and packed in an eco-friendly, 100% recyclable box. And you shouldn't wait because for a limited time, new members will receive a free 10 to 14 pound turkey plus $10 off your first box. Yes, you heard right. A free 10 to 14 pound turkey plus an additional $10 off your first box and shipping is always free. So order today at butcherbox.com slash DeFranco. And then Lauren Boebert is in a crazy close race right now. It, it's way closer than anyone expected. As I was recording today, there was an update where all of a sudden now she took the lead by some votes, though votes are still being counted. But actually one of the reasons she's in the news right now is not because of what she's done, but rather because MSNBC put on Democratic strategist Kurt Bardella and they ask him, what do you think, you know, what is she gonna do? if she loses to which kurt responds that might be a gain for 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 only fans uh I, I don't know what she would do in this scenario which of course resulted in people saying what the fuck how what was that how'd you mess up dunking on lauren bobert she is a ridiculous person who represents so much of what's wrong in our country right now and you're like Time to be a sexist, misogynistic asshole. A woman chooses to showcase her body to make money. Time to degrade her. And Kurt has since apologized, saying it is never my intention to shame women. I apologize. But yeah, ultimately now it's in the court of public opinion. Where some people are gonna say, hey, it's a joke that's offensive. Whereas others are gonna say, no, I think he kind of let slip through how he really feels about women. But that's not for me to say for you. That's for every individual. And then Trump is done, according to people I don't agree with. Or the midterms were Tuesday. We talked about it yesterday. Since then, Republicans have closed the gap a little bit more and are moving towards taking the House by a slim majority as expected. Though, I really do want to note there are still a number of key races left. Meanwhile, in the Senate, we still don't know if control is going to come down to a runoff in Georgia yet again. So while we wait to see more and more of those numbers rather than focusing on that, today, I thought it'd be better to focus on the major narrative that's emerging right now about Trump and the future of the Republican Party. Currently, Republicans are piecing together the picture of why their anticipated red wave failed to materialize, with now many blaming the former president because the candidates that he picked and endorsed were weak, untested, and unprepared, with strategists even saying the party's weakest 
Senate candidates were ones that Trump was responsible for pushing. And according to Axios, nearly every GOP member and aide that spoke to the outlet said the party's underperformance was driven by candidate quality, underestimating the lasting fallout from the Supreme Court's abortion decision and an over-reliance on former President Trump's star power. And that was also backed up by Republican insiders like Michael Brendan Dougherty, a senior writer at National Review, who tweeted, All the chatter on my conservative and GOP channels is rage at Trump like I've never seen. But also, what's notable about this time right now is that it's not just Republicans speaking anonymously. There has been a wave of public attacks and criticisms from some of the top voices in the party, including some of Trump's conservative allies. This including Republican Mike Lawler, who just flipped a key congressional seat in New York, and who said in an interview today that he would like to see the party move forward. I think more focus needs to be on the issues and substance of those issues than on personality. That also echoed by former Republican Representative Peter King, who said, I strongly believe he should no longer be the face of the Republican Party, and adding that the party cannot become a personality cult. Become? Anyway, to that point, many other Republicans have also said that's part of the reason Republicans did so bad, that Trump was trying to make this election all about himself. Like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who discussed the poor performances of Trump's candidates, and saying it's a huge loss for Trump. And again, it shows that his political instincts are not about the party, they're not about the country, they're about him. And in addition to Trump endorsing bad candidates, when he took part in campaign efforts, he largely focused on states he lost in 2020, rather than mobilizing voters in areas where he's already popular. People also pointing to the fact that he can't shut up about or stop teasing the fact that he plans to run in 2024. Which regarding his potential run, we've also seen tons of conservatives saying that he should delay his announcement. With an anonymous Senate strategist telling the Washington Post that if Trump announces before the Georgia Senate runoff, he could seriously fuck up the Republicans' chances of winning the seat. And adding, people are tired of Trump. They want something else. They are ready to change the channel. No more reruns. Some of that sentiment also expressed by Trump's former press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany. With her arguing all the focus needs to be on Georgia right now and saying of Trump, I think he needs to put it on pause. Absolutely. And adding, I think we've got to make strategic calculations. Governor DeSantis, I think he should be welcome to the state given what happened last night. You've got to look at the realities on the ground. And that bit about DeSantis is a key thing here because many of the voices that have been criticizing Trump and saying he's not the future of the party have also been saying that Ron DeSantis is. And where I will say it's the most interesting is that conservative media is actually starting to sway people in that direction. Right? Because in addition to McEnany's remarks on Fox News, coverage of DeSantis has totally eclipsed Trump on the network, with many of its commentators and anchors praising him and focusing on his successes and touting his bright future. The outlet also notably running a headline on its website titled conservatives point finger at Trump after GOP's underwhelming election results. He's never been weaker, with it further detailing how major Republican players are championing DeSantis. It's also not just Fox. Other conservative media chiming in as well, including the New York Post, voting yesterday's front page to a photo of DeSantis celebrating his win with the headline, The Future. And while DeSantis in no way is publicly touching any of this, you've had Trump just jabbing away at DeSantis. Whether it's calling him DeSanctimonious, saying, you know, I could tell people some not-so-great things about him. Yesterday saying, hey, I got more votes for me in Florida than DeSantis got this year, as if like, this wasn't a midterm election, but even with everything we've reported, I want to say, I do not believe that it's going to be DeSantis over Trump. I don't know if you noticed this while I was covering the story. When we look at all the people speaking out against Trump, we're not really seeing Republican politicians who are currently in office and have relied on his voters and sway to win their elections in the past. They are scared of him and his base. And the moderates, or at the very least, the people who didn't drink the Kool-Aid but kind of allowed things to happen, they let the cancer grow for too long. I don't see a way you remove it without losing the whole thing. Like, maybe someone can convince Trump, hey, it's way cooler to be a kingmaker than a king, but otherwise I don't see how anything actually changes. Cults don't often swap out leaders peacefully. But hey, that's a story, my opinion, also my prediction. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, and I'll pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? But that is where that story and today's show ends. Friendly reminder before I leave, uh, the Philip DeFranco show is now five days a week. I go Sunday through Thursday. Sunday's a brand new community show and a bunch of y'all will actually be a part of it. So definitely check that out. But my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you Sunday.